0: Good morning, good to see you this morning and uh, excited about today, uh, excited one for what God's been doing in the hearts of all these youths sitting up here. Always good to see God moving in the youths, right? And so uh, excited about that and excited about starting a new series today called Scandalous. And we named it Scandalous because what we're doing is we're looking at the different scriptures in the Bible, in the gospels, where Jesus said something or did something that went so against the culture and so against the religious institution of that day that it was seen as scandalous. Things that almost got him killed before it was time for him to be killed. Things that um, people criticized him for, those types of things, those are the things we're looking at to see what was it that Jesus said because I believe that if we really look at Jesus and who he was, who he is, what he said and what he did. And if we are being Jesus in this world, I feel like we still go many times against the religious nature or the religious culture that's around us. And so we wanna look and see what is the heart of Jesus in these sayings, in these different scriptures. And so in today's message, we're gonna be looking at Luke chapter four, verse 14 through 30. And we're gonna read 14 through 22 to begin with, and then a little bit later, we'll read the rest of the, the section. But this is after Jesus's baptism. Jesus had just been baptized. When Jesus was baptized, the Bible says that um, the heavens opened, the Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove, and the, God spoke over him, God the Father spoke over him and said, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. Then the Bible says that he was led immediately by the Spirit into the desert, into the wilderness. And there he was tempted for 40 days. He withstood the temptation um, using God's word to stand on in the midst of the temptation. When Satan would throw something at him to tempt him with it, he had a scripture that he would come back with to be able to combat that temptation. And so we see Jesus comes out victorious out of the wilderness and out of this temptation. And then this is where we're picking up as Jesus begins his ministry um, early in his ministry. He goes, and we'll read here where he goes to Galilee. So if you will look at verse 14 in Luke chapter four with me, it says, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the spirit and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. So he went back to where he was raised, his hometown. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, which was like their church, church Kind of like where they would gather, it was where they'd gather and worship. As was his custom, he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. I wanna read that, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. In verse 22, all spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked. Let's pray, Lord. Thank you for your word. God, I, I simply pray today that it comes with power in our hearts, even as we read it, that it comes with power. I thank you that it's good seed, God, and I pray that it's being sown into good soil, into hearts that are ready to receive it so that it can produce fruit 30, 60, 100 times that which was sown, Lord. God, let us see a harvest of souls for your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, yesterday, I had uh, the privilege, the opportunity to go by the hospital and visit a very good friend of mine, Billy Shiver. Most, a lot of you know him. Uh, he's our campus pastor over in Vidalia. He and his wife, Kate, had their first child um, this weekend. I had a little baby boy. And so we're excited for Billy and Kate. And I had the opportunity to go there and visit them yesterday. Susan and I stopped by to see them and uh, got to see the baby. Susan held the baby, so now I'm afraid she's going to be wanting one. And uh, so uh, I didn't hold it. I figured one of us needed to be strong, so um, I I stayed away. But we got to go by and see the baby. And as we walked into the women's pavilion there at the hospital, uh, we walked through the doors, the security doors, and went down to a room on the right down there. And it brought back a lot of memories for me because Um, that was where we had our three children was in those rooms right there to the right. I don't know if it was the same exact room that we were ever in, but it was one of those very near there. And it started bringing back a lot of memories. And I started thinking back to us having our first child and um, I can remember sitting there holding him and just being in awe of having this child and kind of wondering like, what do I do now kind of thing. But I remember holding him and I remember my father-in-law sitting across from me. And me looking at him and saying, I'm already dreading when he goes off to college. And he laughed at me. But I remember saying those words. And as I sat there watching Billy with his baby and Kate and and Susan holding their little baby, it brought back all of these memories. And and it made me think about the fact that now uh, my baby is about to be 14 or is about to be 15 years old next year. He's going to start high school He's going to be, uh, in four years, that day that I said I dreaded, is going to be here. And it's happened so fast. And the thing that I want you to see in that is how quick time moves. As I was reading this scripture this week, um, I I, I came to this sentence, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And I really had been moved by seeing Billy with their child and thinking about my children. Because one, I love my kids so much but two, it's really brought this sense of urgency into my life. And I've been sensing this for quite a while now, this sense of urgency. And when I read that this week, that today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing, the word today just kept resonating in my heart. It just kept going over and over in my heart. And the thing that I began to see is people that we need to have a sense of urgency about us and about the kingdom. We need to come to a point where we have a sense of urgency to do what God's called us to do. It's today that is the day of salvation. It's today that people need to call on the name of the Lord. It's today that we need to realize that we're surrounded by people, even in church, we're surrounded by people who need to realize and have a revelation of who Jesus is. So many times we come in and out of the church doors, but we don't really know who Christ is. We don't really have a relationship with him. We just go through the motions of of church and and of this religious life. And today in my heart, what I feel is a sense of urgency to say, wake up, people. Let's wake up and see what's around us. Let's look at the world around us and see the need that's around us. As I look at the world today, I don't know if there's ever been a time when it was more polarized. You've got... People on two different sides that that are fighting and yelling and screaming at each other. They won't sit down to have a conversation, but they just hold up signs and yell at each other. I look at that and I see this sense of urgency, this this, this sense of urgency to say, look, this is the reality. This is what brings us together. It, It may not be our political views, but listen, the thing that we all have in common is our need for a savior. And the thing that people need to see is that need. They need to come to a place where they recognize that need and they surrender to that need. And the reality for us people is we need to have a sense of urgency to share that message. We need to have a sense of urgency to tell people about what God's done in our heart and in our life. If he's done something in our lives, then we need to share it. We need to tell it. We need to realize that today is the day of salvation. I think about the divide and I think about all that's going on in our nation and in our country. And I just look at this and and I think that one of two things typically happens when there's a divide like this. One is that we just get angry and we spew venom at each other. We just yell at each other. The other one is that we withdraw and we just kind of come into our little cocoon and we kind of come into our little bubble and we just try to insulate ourselves from the world and from everything around us. And I can relate to this. There's days when I look at it and I'm just like, it'd just be easier if I took my children and my wife and any of the family that wants to go, we moved to the outback of Australia, no cell phones, nothing. We just live there by ourselves. It'd just be easier. And, And what I look at and what I see though is that we can't do that. Today is not the day for the church to retreat. The day is not today, the day for the church to surrender. The day, today is not the day for the church to backtrack. Today is the day for the church to charge full steam ahead with the message of the gospel. Today is the day that people need to hear it more than ever. Today is the day that lost need to be found. Today is the day that we need to have the heart of Jesus to go after the lost and to go after those lost sheep and to share the gospel message Today is the day, not tomorrow, not next week, not next month, not next year, not once you get it all together because that day will never come. But today is the day that we need to be on our our toes and charging forward, sharing the message and sharing the hope and living the hope of Jesus in the world. That's what God's called us to do. Listen, we have the promise from Jesus that not even the gates of hell will come against and stop his church from moving forward. So we can move forward in confidence, knowing that God, what God has put before us, what God has called us to. And one of the things that drives me, I I help coach a middle school baseball team. Some of our players are here today. And one of the things that drives me crazy more than anything else is when I see guys going through the motions of practice. When I see guys going through the motions and just kind of halfway doing it, They just do it just because they got to do it, not because they're trying to get better. And one of the things I asked them the other day is at the end of practice, the question you need to ask yourself is, did I get better today? Something else that drives me crazy is to see us as Christians just go through the motions, to see us as Christians just come in and go out and go through our daily lives. Because today goes by fast. I and mean, today is the day that we need to proclaim the message and we need to share the gospel and we need to go to the world. But today also moves by very quickly. It seems like I go to bed one night and the next day, I'm already in bed, going to bed the next day because the day goes by so fast. The Bible says that it's like a vapor. Life is like a vapor. It goes that quickly. And if you're 14, 16, 18 years old, you don't realize that. But the longer you live, the more you realize how fast it goes by. And I'm telling you today to seize the day, to come to a place where you... You you recognize the urgency of this message. We recognize the urgency that Jesus has called us to, that we recognize that God has called us to go to people who maybe aren't like us, to go to people who maybe don't think like we do, to go to people who maybe don't look like we do, to go to people who maybe have an opinion different than ours. And see, here's where I'm at. I really don't care if you watch Fox or you watch CNN, whichever one you watch, I don't care. But the reality of it is that we can't withhold the greatest news that's ever been heard from people because we don't like their opinion. God's called us to go to people who aren't like us, who are different, who maybe look different, smell different, talk different, think different, have different opinions. But he's called us to go. And we're gonna see that that's exactly what Jesus did. That's exactly what Jesus calls us to The Bible says that Jesus returned to Galilee. And it says, in the power of the Spirit, in the power of the Spirit. See, our youth have been gone this weekend um, at the man center out towards Brooklyn. And they've been there and they've been talking about um, their soul being revived again. That there would be revival, that they would it would start in their hearts. And the thing that I recognize in that is that we need an awakening. This church, this, this world, the big C church, it needs an awakening. The, 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 the United States needs an awakening. We need a revival. We need to be able to look at this time in history and say, that was the beginning of a great move of God when we look back 50 years from now. And we need to come to that place. And our youth have been talking about that. My prayer is because so many revivals have started with young people. My prayer is that it would come out of the youth, that it would come out of the college, that it would be something that transforms the world, that that if we as adults are too busy to do what God's called us to do, that he would raise up children to go and do the work that he's called us to, that it might begin with them, that it might be something that starts with them and then transforms the adults' lives. But I don't really know, I don't really care exactly how it happens. The biggest thing is that it just happens. They've been off, and, and I, I actually served as a youth pastor, um, combined total in a couple of different places for probably about five years. And I remember having some retreats and things like what the youth have been on. Um, two of the worst nights of my life were what's called lock-ins. Anybody ever been a part of a lock-in? And, and uh, you know, I, I would have these lock-ins. And basically what it is, if you don't know, is where all the youth come to the, the church and you lock them in. I wanted to lock the doors and go back out, and, and, and so they would come, and in, in those total, in those two nights, I slept a total of 15 minutes on both lock-ins because, like, you just don't want to, to leave them, right? You're just scared, like, what might happen? All kind of thoughts go through your mind of, like, what they might do to you when you do fall asleep. And so I wouldn't sleep, and I remember one year, um, we had finally gotten the parents there at like 5 o'clock in, in the morning. It wasn't that early. That's what time we wanted them to be there, but it was like 7.30 in the morning. The parents come and pick up the children and the kids, the youth, and, and uh, take them, and, and we, we look around. Everybody's gone. The parents are gone. The kids are gone. Me and the volunteers are like, all right, let's just go through the church and make sure nobody else is is left behind and, and that everybody's been picked up. So we go, we go all over the place looking, all the kids are gone. So I finally stumble out in my car. I get in the car, I drive home, I get to the house and finally probably around 8.30, nine o'clock, I lay down. I'm out instantly, just in that dead sleep like where you're just slobbering all over yourself and you don't even realize it. And, and I was asleep, Susan comes in there probably about 20 or 30 minutes later, she's like, Brandon, wake up. And I wake up, and I was so asleep. It was one of those things where you don't even know where you're at kind of sleep. I was like, where where am I? And she's like, so-and-so is missing. And she named one of the kids and said they were missing. And I was like, what? And she said, yeah, they're missing. They can't find them. And I'm like, well, where were they last? And she said, at the church. And I'm like, and this reality hit me that all of a sudden, like, I lost somebody's kid. And so I, I'm already thinking as I'm throwing clothes on and I'm, I'm running out the door, I'm thinking that uh, already about my resignation and how I'm going to resign and all of these things because now I've lost a kid and, and I'm like, what in the world am I going to do? And so I'm worried. Well, I don't really get hardly out the door and Susan hollers at me and she says, they found him. I was like, thank God, where was he? She said, under the piano. It's like, what? And and the piano had a cover over it that went all the way down to the ground. And sometime during the night while the kids were sleeping, he crawled under the piano and fell asleep. He slept there through the next morning until the smaller children came in to rehearse their Christmas play. And when they started singing, it woke him up and he crawls out from under the piano. I could have killed him. I'm surprised, but his parents still talk to me today, even after that incident, because we had no idea where he was. And so I've had my own youth experiences. I've, I've had my own time with youth ministry and, and enjoyed a lot of it. Some of it was a little, bit, uh, a little bit scary like that. But the thing that I thought about is how awesome it is to have our youth talking about revival, talking about awakening, um, seeing that their hearts have been awakened by the gospel, seeing that their lives are being transformed by the gospel, and seeing that they are calling out to God to do that in people's lives around them. And when we look at this gospel um, of Luke, and we see in verse 14, it says that he came in the power of the Spirit. And when the Spirit of God begins to move, here's one of the first things that begins to happen, is people begin to hear about it. People begin to hear about it who begin to hear about what God's doing. It says news about him spread through the whole countryside. The other thing I see in this is it said he went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. I believe this, that God wants to start with his people. He always stirs a group of people, a remnant of people to begin this awakening. My prayer is that that would be us, that we would be a part of that, that we'd allow God's spirit to stir our hearts to do what he wants us to do That we would be a people who are willing to stand up and to go out and to share the message and to bring people in, even when they're different than we are, even when they may not think the way we do. Because here's why. Listen, they may be different. Maybe they don't do things the way that we feel scripture teaches them. Maybe they are living their lives contrary to scripture. But this is what I believe. I believe with all my heart that that God is able to transform their heart. And listen, we don't have to be the people that, that are the morality police. The Holy Spirit is the one that works in people's hearts. We're called to come alongside them and walk with them and help them and when they trip and when they do stumble and they do fall to pick them up. I can't tell you how many times in in my life and since we started this church and, and since God's been moving and doing incredible things that the first thing many people will ask me is how do you do church discipline? That's the first question. And what I realized in that question is one, they want to find a fault in our church. But two, are we more concerned with church discipline than we are with lost souls? Are we so in our Christian bubble that we would look outside our little Christian bubble and just say, go to hell if you're not like me? Or are we willing to look at it and go, you know what? This is messy. Because the reality of it is, people, listen, when God starts moving, it gets messy. And the reason it gets messy is because people with a mess, people who are a mess, come out of the darkness into the light where their mess can finally be seen. Where the church has been guilty in the past is saying, yeah, come as you are, come as you are. They step out in their mess and we go, don't come like that. I didn't know that was going on. And the whole time we're shoving them back in the darkness and we're pushing them away, we've got our own junk that we refuse to deal with. And the reality for us is we've gotta come to a place where we realize that God is able to break the hardest heart, to change the hardest heart, to to, to soften the heart of stone. He's able to do that, I know he's able to do it because he's able to do that in me. He can do that in me, he can do that in anybody. So we need to see this and, and people listen. God wants to use his people and he's going to find a remnant of people who will do this. His will will not be thwarted. His will is going to happen. He's going to shake the foundations of the earth and he is going to bring people into his kingdom. And if we refuse to do that, if we refuse to be a part of that, then the reality of it is he will find someone else who will. I don't feel like that is an option. I believe he has called us to this today, to this time to this this time in the history of the world so that we can take back from the kingdom of darkness what belongs to the kingdom of light. It's what God has called us to. Uh, There's no doubt. See, we didn't start this church to play church. Statesboro doesn't need another, another church just to go in and sit and feel comfortable in. Statesboro needs a people. He needs a big C church, a community of believers, not just connection church, not just any one church, but a community of believers who rise up and say, look, here's the reality. Things may be going to hell around us, but we have the answer and his name is Jesus. That's what God calls us to. He calls us to be those people and he moves through his people. Verse 18 says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me. He has anointed me. Here's the thing I want you to see today, that Jesus was able to quote Isaiah 61, 1 and 2, out of, out of as he read that scroll. But the thing that I see in that is that it's true for us as well. And what I want you to realize is that if you're a follower of Jesus, I'm not saying if you go to church, I'm not saying if you've been to Sunday school, I'm not saying that you've read your Bible from front to back. I'm saying if you're a follower of Jesus, then the reality of it is that He has anointed you with the power of His Holy Spirit. He has put His Spirit inside of you. He has anointed you to do greater things than even Jesus did, meaning greater salvations, greater impact, because now it's not just Jesus doing the ministry. all of us who are filled with the same power as Jesus, going out and doing the ministry everywhere. You don't need me with you to go pray with somebody. You've been anointed by the power of the Holy Spirit. You don't need me to share the gospel for you. You've been anointed with the power of the Holy Spirit. You don't need to wait on me to minister to somebody. You've been anointed to do that and I want you to be empowered to go out and to be the hands and feet of Christ to the people around you. Realize that inside of you is the very spirit, the very presence of God, stir it up, let it take over and then step out in out out of your comfort and into God's world and begin to transform it one life at a time. You've been anointed, you've been called, you've been set apart, you've been consecrated as a person to go out and to do this, to be this. It's what God's called us to be. See, when we started this church, we started it to see religious people awaken and to see those who are far from God brought near. It's the whole reason we started. And I'm praying and I'm believing and I really believe that the best is yet to come, that we haven't seen anything yet. Believe that God's gonna do more. God wants to do more. God wants to reach people more than we do. We just have to cooperate with what God already wants to do. Are we willing to do that? God moves through his people here's a question that I want to ask you today, and I hope you wrestle with it a little bit, is do we really want revival? Do we really want an awakening? Do we really want that? Because like I said, when that happens, things begin to get messy. And I want you to listen to the people that Jesus came. To proclaim the gospel too that Jesus came to reach it says the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. The first people that he came to proclaim the good news to was the poor. Now, this doesn't just mean economically. That is one way that it means poor, but it also means um, in any way that, uh, that you would have low status, in anything that would put them outside the circle of God. It's kind of like that movie, Meet the Fockers, when they had the, the circle of truth, right? Or trust, the circle of trust. Well, it's kind of like that with... with them and God, that they had this circle and you had to meet certain standards in order to be able to be in that circle. And what Jesus is saying is, I've come to reach those and meet those who are outside of that circle. that are outside of what you think is possible. that are outside of the people you might would normally go to. And he's saying in that, that I've come to blow that bubble up, that Christian bubble. I've come to blow it up and I've called you to go to the messy people. I've called you to go to those of low status I've called you to go to the, that if you do for them, they can't do back for you. I've called you to go to those people and to share the good news and to give them a hand up and to help them see the reality of Jesus, to help them come to a revelation of who I am. It's what God has called us to do. And he's going to the poor, those of low status, those who weren't much. Think about where some of you were when Jesus came to you. I think about where I was when Jesus came to me. I think about some of the lowest points of my life, passed out in a bar in Beaumont, Texas, with nobody, without anybody else that I knew. Wake up with my head hung over the back of a chair. And I wake up and they're sweeping. And I finally get up and thankfully the hotel room was within walking distance and I walked to the hotel. I think about some of the lowest times of my life that where I was, where were you? Some of you were addicted. Some of you were addicted to drugs. Some of you were addicted to pornography. Some of you were addicted. Some of you were, were, were in relationships you didn't need to be in. Think about where we were when Jesus came to us. What if Jesus hadn't busted that bubble to come to meet us where we are? And here's the thing, even if you've been Mr. or Mrs. Goody two-shoes all your life, all the time, the reality of it is nobody's perfect. Everybody's sinned. Everybody's fallen short of the glory of God. So we would have busted the gates of hell wide open just like the other people. So God has come to save us all through Jesus. Is this too heavy? Y'all are looking at me real funny. But the reality of it is that he came to the poor. It says that he sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners. In other words, to those who are guilty and in condemnation. He said, I've come to proclaim freedom, to set them free from their guilt and their condemnation. And the great news of the gospel is this, that we who are guilty have been declared innocent. Because the one who was innocent became guilty. That's the great news of the gospel of what Jesus has done for us. And so when we look at that, we see that he set us free from our sin, from our bondage. He's the one that broke those chains off of our life. He's the one who's given us new life. Even in the midst of the struggle you may have now, Jesus said, I've taken that away from you. And he may be working out his righteousness now, but he's already given you righteousness through faith. And that's the incredible news of the gospel. He came to those who were guilty, those who were condemned, those who didn't have a chance unless he did something unthinkable, drastic, something that we wouldn't imagine ourselves. and gave his life for us. For sinners, so that we could become saints in the righteousness of God, it says He was sent. Me, he sent, has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. And certainly he's speaking of physical sight. One, yes, we see where Jesus was speaking of physical sight, but he was also speaking of those who had not had a revelation of what he had come to do. He's saying, I've come to reveal the heart of God. I've come to reveal who he is. I've come to reveal myself as the Savior, as the anointed one, the Messiah. And he's saying, I've come to open the eyes of people who are far from God. So that they can see what I've done for them. So that they can have eyes to see. It's for those people who haven't had a revelation of who Jesus is. It's for those people who were poor. It's for those people who were guilty and condemned. And we look around us and we're like, this is, this is where, where we're, Christians, where we're at. We're like, we look around us and we look at the world and we're like, the world's going to hell. Where would we think it's going to go? We look at unbelievers and we get so aggravated that they act like unbelievers. But what else are they going to act like if they don't know the truth? And guess who has the truth? We do. We do. We're the ones who've been given the opportunity to share the gospel, the possibilities of sharing the gospel and what could happen and the responsibility for sharing the gospel. It's us that God's given that to. He's entrusted us with it. It says he set the oppressed free. Oppressed meaning those who their thoughts and actions are controlled by Satan. He's got his claws in them. He's saying, I've come to set them free. I've come to change their lives. I've come to change their hearts. I've come to remove his hands from their life so that they're no longer oppressed and and stuck in this way of thinking that's far away from the heart of God in in his mind. And he's saying, I've come to set you free so that you can walk by the Spirit. And have life. And then my favorite one is this one. He says to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He's talking about what was called the year of Jubilee. And in every 50 years, God had set it up where the Jewish people would forgive all debts Amongst other things, they would um, if you had purchased land from someone, it went back to their original owner. There were a lot of things that happened, but one of the biggest things is that every 50 years, all debts were forgiven. How many of you wish that would still happen today and like next year was the year of Jubilee and our debts would be forgiven? If they would forgive my mortgage, I'd be like, yes, And, and no more debt. And 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 so he's saying this, that I'm ushering in an era of favor or I'm ushering in an era of salvation where your debt is going to be forgiven. He's not talking about a financial debt. He's talking about a sin debt that all people owe to God because our sin was against God and against God alone. And so Jesus came and paid that debt so that you and I would be debt free, that you and I would have the price paid for our sin so that we could be the children of God, and what I want you to hear today, as a child of God, is that just like when Jesus was baptized and the Spirit of God came down on Jesus and said, "This is my Son with whom I'm well pleased," God speaks the same thing over you as He anoints you to do the work of God to declare this message of, of this debt free living uh, where our sin has been forgiven. He's anointed you and he said, this is my son with whom I'm pleased. This is my daughter with whom I am pleased. And now we've been empowered to go to these people. And notice I said to those who are poor, to those who are guilty, to those who haven't had a revelation of Jesus, to those whose thoughts and actions often aren't led by the spirit, to those who have a debt with God. The problem and where I think this breaks down a lot is that we oftentimes forget that we are those that we are the people who still need Christ, that we're the people who still need him. And so it's easy for us to think of ourselves more highly than others when we think I've got it figured out, I've got it together. The Bible says that our most righteous deeds are like filthy rags before the Lord. Do we really think we've got it so together that if we were to stand before a holy God, we'd be able to stand there apart from the blood of Jesus Christ who gave his life so that we could have life? There's no way. There's no way. And so we have to realize that we are still the people who need Christ. and The people around us are no different. They need him as well. It goes on in verse 23 and says, Jesus said to them, surely you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. And you will tell me, do here in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. And so in verse 22, it says that they were all amazed at his gracious words. Verse 23, Jesus begins to speak again. And basically what he tells them is he says this. He says, basically what the problem is, is you really don't believe in me. And you're going to ask me to prove myself to you again. He's saying, but you really don't believe in who I am. And so you want to see another sign. You want me to do something else to prove it. Verse 24, he says, truly, I tell you. No prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And so we look at this and he's talking about a widow. A widow was a a person of lowly status in that culture. And so he's saying, look, he didn't go, Elijah didn't go, he was was a prophet, he didn't go to someone of Israel. He went to a Gentile widow. A Gentile is someone who's not a Jewish person. 27, and there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. So again, he pulls out someone with leprosy who was considered unclean, who was considered cursed by God, who was, who was outside the religious circle, who was someone that no one would have touched, would have wanted to be around. And he's saying, look, God sent them to him and he was a Gentile. And then listen to verse 20, 28. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. I would have loved to have seen that. I don't know what that looked like. I just pictured Jesus like them kind of shoving, pushing him, kind of going up to the edge of the cliff and being like, not today, guys. And just walking back through. And and see, it wasn't his time. But the people became furious. What did they become furious about? They became furious because Jesus looked them in the eye and said, look... You think because of your privileged status that you're going to inherit the kingdom of God, but God is about to bust your religious bubble and he's about to carry the gospel, the good news, his message to people who are outside of your religious circle. You're not going to inherit it, but they are. And I worry because I wonder how many people sit in churches week after week and they hear message after message, and yet they would fall into this category where when they die, it's going to be a shock because they think because of my religious activities and because of the things that I've done uh, that 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 somehow it's going to get me in when in reality the only thing that gets us into heaven the only thing that brings us into the presence of God now and for eternity is Jesus And today I mean I know like you, everybody's looking at me like I'm speaking Italian or something But the reality of it is guys I hope That somehow if you're in that boat, if that's where you're at, I hope somehow I can shake you today. And I hope that there's an awakening that happens in our hearts that we realize that it's about more than religious activity. It's about a relationship with God. And see, today I want you to understand, like, I'm not talking about how much you read your Bible. I'm not talking about how much you pray. I'm not talking about whether you're a deacon in the church. I'm not talking about whether you're an elder in the church. I'm not talking about how many Bible studies you've been to, how many small groups you've been to. The thing I'm talking about is, do you have faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Have you surrendered your life to Him and do you follow Him every day of your life? That's what I'm talking about. And what I'm telling you today is if you will do that, Not playing around, not coming in here and lifting your hands on Sunday morning when they've been God knows where on Saturday night. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about people who are following Christ because this is what I know. When you truly surrender your life to Jesus, you truly turn your heart over to him what happens is there is a transformation through the power of the holy spirit that gets you living for god in a way that you never could that sets the captives free that frees those and begins to heal those who are brokenhearted who begin to do exactly what jesus said he came to do that he begins to do a work that no one else can do and today my heart is that people get that that you see that that there's power to set you free I want to tell the youth today. I want you to look me in the eyes and I want you to hear me. You don't have to go the way of the world. You don't have to live like them. You can stand and you can stand together and you can live your life for God and no one can take that away from you. Let them say what they want to say. Let them think what they want us to think. But you have a relationship with God, and you live for Him. And don't you let anybody else tell you anything else. There's nothing better. They can put all of this stuff in front of you. They can dangle all these carrots to try to get you to go a different direction. But the reality is, young people, that the best way to live is to live for Jesus. You will not get old and regret having lived for Him. My heart is so burdened for you because I see what's on TV. I see what's on the, hear what's on the radio. I know all the stuff that goes on. I know about the the fake Instagrams. I know about all of this stuff. I know what goes on. I know the temptation. I know the text messages you get. I know the things that go on. And my heart is I want to protect you. But you've got to make the choice. You've got to be the one to make the choice. You've got to decide and say, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm not following anybody else. I'm following God. And what he says do, I'm going to do, even when it's difficult, even when I'm swimming against the grain, going against the grain and swimming upstream I'm going to do what Jesus told me to do because it's the best way to live my life and I want that for you but I can't make that decision for you and I know I probably sound like a babbling idiot but I want you to get this and while I'm speaking to them I'm speaking to all of you I want you to get this I want the people who are lost in our community to get this. I want them to understand this. I want to understand this better in my own heart. I want us to run with this. I want my kids to see this in my life. I want your kids to see this in your life, in your marriage, in your singleness. I want them to see it. I want this to be a place where the gospel is so true to us, that we would live no other way but for the gospel. It's what God's called us to. He's given us the opportunity, but we have to take it. We have to take the opportunity. We've got to live it. And He doesn't leave us alone. He promises the power of the Holy Spirit. And I want you to get it. I want you to know it. I want you to have it right here in the deepest. Core of your being, this gospel message. Time for me to hush. That was gross. But before I do, I'm going to give you this opportunity to say yes to Christ, to say yes to Jesus. I don't know, maybe you've played games all your life and you've been in and out of church and you've been around church and you've been around Jesus, but sometimes our familiarity with Jesus makes him a commodity to be consumed instead of a God to be worshiped. And my challenge to you today is to search your heart and say, have I ever given my life to Christ? Have I ever trusted him as the Lord and Savior? Do I have a personal relationship with God? and you may think this is foolishness but I pray that your heart would be open but today if God's spoken to you and you know that it's a relationship with God that you need you've never surrendered your life to Christ but he's speaking to your heart right now you say yes to him. I'm going to ask you to be very bold this morning and I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet and say yes, this is what I need. I need a relationship with Jesus and I understand that takes a lot of courage and a lot of boldness to do that in front of a thousand people but I'm telling you, it's the greatest decision you'll ever make in your life in your eternity. Amen. Next thing that I want to pray for you today. If the Lord spoke into your heart today and you say, I want to be that remnant, I want to be used by God, I need the power of the Holy Spirit because I don't really know what to do. Maybe you don't have the courage, maybe it's boldness you need, maybe it's just finally taking a step of faith and taking a stand and saying, this is what I'm going to do. If you're here today and you say, I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of God transforming the world and transforming hearts through the power of Jesus. Then what I want to ask you to do is I'm going to ask you that you would stand to your feet and I want to pray over you. And I want to pray over this church. And I want to pray over each person that God would do what only God can do in us, and God would do what only God can do through us, but you have the courage to stand because listen if we're not, if we 're not willing to stand in here there's no way we'll ever stand out there there's no shame in not standing, but I want to pray for those who feel led to Jesus thank you for loving us thank you for grace. Thank you for hearts transformed by the gospel. Lord, I pray that you would move in us so that you can move through us. God, I just believe that the best is yet to come. I believe that the best is still ahead. I believe there are more souls to be reached, more lives to be transformed, more lives to be changed. And God, I pray that you would do that and allow us to be a part of that. God, fill us with your Holy Spirit from the top of our head to the bottom of our feet. Lead us, God, to do the things that you put us here to do. God, give us your blessing and your power and your presence and your purpose in our lives. Let us go out of this place on fire for you, willing to do the things you call us to. God, we love you and thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen.